from the time that Moses began his journey, I want you to think about all the things that he had seen. He heard the Lord talking to him out of a bush that was burning, but not being consumed. Told to walk, to take off his shoes because he was walking on holy ground. He then went to the Pharaoh and demanded that his people be let go. When the Pharaoh refused, he saw uh, sticks turn into serpents. He saw the water turn to blood. Flies come out of nowhere. Frogs come out of nowhere. All kinds of things from nature that should not have happened, happened. Moses then was able to lead the people out of Egypt, lift his hands and to see the waters part. Water on the right, right, like a wall, and the water on the left, just like a wall. And the amazing thing about what they walked on, it was dry ground. It wasn't muddy ground. It was completely devoid of moisture. And they just walked on dry ground. He saw God lead them during the day with a cloud, a pillar of a cloud, and by night it was fire. He was able to see the hand of God deliver manna and quails to the people, to see water come forth from a rock. And then we come to this point that he's up on the mountain and he's talking to God and he sees the finger of God write the commands on tables of stone. God directed him to write down the covenant and the laws that are therein. And he comes toward the end. He's talking to God again. And he wants to be assured. He wants to be assured that God was going to go with them the rest of the way. And he said, let me see your glory. God says, I'll let you see my goodness. That's important. Moses says, I want to see your glory. God says, I'll let you see my goodness. Glory and goodness are the same thing. But he says to him, no man can take all of my goodness all at once. No man can see my face and live. So I'll tell you what to do. You go hide yourself in the cleft of the rock. And I'll put my hand over that rock. And as I walk by, I'll cover you. So you can't see my face. But as I go walking by, I'll lift my hand so that you can see my back parts. And you can see a portion of my glory. A portion of my goodness. What an amazing sight that must have been. And this evening I would like to talk about the idea of beholding the goodness or the glory of the Lord. Particularly as it applies to Jesus. The brightness of his glory. Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 3 says, Who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Here, this talk, as he says who, that is talking about Jesus. Jesus then is the brightness of his glory. That word brightness 
means a reflected brightness. So this picture was strategic so that you could see the sun and you could also see the reflection of that sun. But I want you to think it a little bit differently. I want you to think sun and moon. So Jesus is the reflected brightness of who? Of his Father's glory. So when you see Jesus, you see all of the goodness of God in the person of Jesus. In the gift of Jesus that he offers us. So let's look into what that means to us as he is the brightness or the reflected brightness of God's glory. The Bible tells us, John says, we have seen his glory. John was able to witness the miracles that Jesus performed. He was able to hear the teachings of Jesus as he went along. He was able to hear the compassion and to see the compassion displayed miracle after miracle. He saw the goodness of God in Jesus Christ. John 8 and verse 12, Jesus says of himself that he is the light of the world. In the midst of darkness, where all is sin and everything is terrible, he is light. He is good. And he is everything that is good. And we see that in the face of Jesus Christ. Isaiah 42 and verse 6 says that he is to be a light to the blind. Now what do what the blind need a light for if they can't see? What that means is he allows them to be able to see where, who were once blind. He's a light to the blind, to those that are prisoners, and to those who sit in darkness. That's who Jesus is. So when we think about Jesus, we need to think about his goodness and about, his, uh, about all the goodness of God being given in this one package and delivered to mankind. So I want you to think about that for just a moment and then consider what it would be like if you were able to talk to God, to talk to Jesus. You ever think about on the day of judgment what it's going to be like to stand in front of that throne and to be able to finally have those questions answered? <laughs> I don't know what questions gnaw at you, but I'm sure you've got some that you just want to know really badly. Did Adam have a, a belly button or not? <laughs> and bigger questions than that. But those gnawing questions that we want to know the answer to. Do you think you're just going to approach God and say, what did you mean by this? What, what happened here? Or do you think you might approach God and say, why this? And why not that? Do you think that's how it's going to be when we approach the throne of God? Let's look at someone who saw a vision at the throne of God, and he saw Jesus. And we know that from the book of John chapter 12, verse 41, that he saw Jesus sitting on a throne. We just sang a song about that throne. And if you notice, or if you do or don't, you might have uh, looked at, at the top of that and they give scriptures. This passage was in there. <clears throat> Thank you, Dalton, for leading that for me. Okay, so we want to look at what, it, at what he went through when he saw the glory of God in Jesus Christ sitting on his throne. 
So Isaiah 6 and verse 1 says, In the year the king Isaiah died, that just gets us started. Okay, so that's when it was. We're going to look at the rest. He says, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up. What kind of a box do we put Jesus in? Is it a Christmas box and we see this baby Jesus? Is it the Easter box and we see the resurrected Lord? What kind of box do we put him in? What image do you have when you think about Jesus? Do you think of his bloody body as he hung on the cross? He is the Lord sitting on a throne. He is a king. I think we lose the meaning of that word because we live in the country that we do. We don't have a king. So we don't really think of it in those terms. But I want you to think of it this way, to a much lesser degree. And it really doesn't matter what your politics are, okay? So let's remove politics for just a moment. But let's just say that President Joe Biden were here this evening. How might we react to that? Uh, it's just Joe Biden. I doubt it. That's the President of the United States that would be walking in here. And that's something that we probably can't even wrap our minds around. This is the Lord. The King of Kings. And the Lord of Lords. That's who Isaiah saw. And he saw him high and lifted up and high on that throne. The next thing he saw, the train of his robe filled the temple. In those days, they would have these robes, and the longer the robe, the more majestic the king. The temple was not a small building. And it filled the temple. That's the kind of majesty of the king that we're talking about. Of the king that Isaiah saw. That is his majesty. So yes, he is the brightness of the glory of God. He is majestic. And he is to be honored. And it's evident by the train that filled the temple. Then it says, above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face. With two he covered his feet. And with two he flew. Everybody has these little cute little angels that they think of when they, when they think of an angel. That's not what a seraphim looks like, is it? He's got six wings. He's covering his face and his feet. It's probably not a pretty thing. It's probably more of a powerful thing. And he's flying around the throne of Jesus. And I want you to think about the song we sang, Holy, Holy, Holy. And get that picture in our mind about the cherubim and the seraphim. They were flying around and they were falling down before him because this is what they say. One cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. These seraphim, being in the presence of the Lord that was sitting on his throne, were compelled and moved to sing praises to his name. They were fixed on the Lord, 
singing this song. And as one began to cry, the other followed. And they couldn't help it. They were drawn to it. One cried to another, holy, holy, holy. And the other started to cry the same. When you're in the presence of the Lord, you're going to be compelled to praise Him. You will be compelled to honor Him. And it says, And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of Him who cried out. As one of the angels cried out, Holy, 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 those posts just shook. And if you do some study in the Old Testament about the temple and it being built, these were not small posts. They were powerful, strong, large posts and they just shook at the voice of the angel that was praising their Lord. And the house was filled with smoke. You know why the house was filled with smoke? Because no man can see the face of God and live. The only veil that was there between Isaiah and the Lord was the smoke. Saved his life. <laughs> because he's that good. Because he's that holy. Because he is the brightness of the glory of God. So what do you think Isaiah's response was? Do you think he just started asking questions like we talked about before? Not at all. First thing he says is, woe is me. For the first time in Isaiah's life, he saw the goodness of God compared to his own righteousness. Compared to his own goodness. He saw sin ever before him like he'd never seen it before. He was exposed. Men, Jesus says that men try to hide themselves from the light. They, they love darkness. Why? Because their deeds are exposed. Here, Isaiah was laid bare before the Lord. And he said, woe is me. Romans 3 and verse 23 says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. They fall short of what? The glory of God. To sin is to miss the mark. It's to break the law, but it's to miss the mark. And when we miss the mark, the mark is the glory of God. That is Jesus in His perfection. He's a reflected brightness of the glory of God, right? So when we fail to meet that standard, we fall short of His glory. And so when Isaiah was exposed to the glory of God, he recognized his own sinful self. And he stood naked before a holy God. He goes on and he says, I'm undone. That's it. What he's really saying there is, I do not belong here. I have no doubt that everything in Isaiah wanted to praise the Lord that was sitting there on the throne. He wanted to join the song of the angels. But he said, I don't belong here. I'm undone. Same writer later on as Isaiah 64 or Isaiah 59 and verse 2 says, but your iniquities have separated you from your God and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. 
I don't belong here. None of us belong in the presence of God because He's holy, He's perfect, and He's all goodness. Because of our sin, we're separated from Him. So He says, I'm a man of unclean lips. I can't join in the song. My lips are perverse. The lips of the angels were okay. They were pure. So they could sing the song. But I can't. Because the best that I can do, Isaiah 64 and verse 6, but we are all like an unclean thing and all our righteousnesses are like filthy rags. We all fade as a leaf and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. The best that I can do, the most that I can show for my goodness, for my righteousness, filthy rags you ever tried to wash a window with a filthy rag doesn't work filthy rags are good for very little really good for nothing that's what we are that's the best that we can do he says all our righteousnesses and let me tell you that's exactly what Isaiah saw he saw all of his unrighteousness compared to the righteousness of the Lord sitting on his throne that's why he said, I don't belong here. I can't join in this song. Then he saw something. Then one of the seraphim flew to me. Now, I don't know what he was thinking here. I can only imagine what he might be thinking. He already feels like he's misplaced, that he shouldn't be in the presence of the Lord sitting on his throne. He already feels like he can't join in the song and now one of these angels that were so fixed on the Lord and they were praising Him, they take a turn. They leave the throne and they come down to Him. I can only imagine he was thinking, here it is. It's my end. It's time to go. I don't know what he was thinking. But this angel that was coming to Him had a purpose. And the angel here left the throne room to come to the man, Isaiah. What a powerful thing that is, but there's something even greater. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 5 says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. The angel left the throne room to come down to Isaiah. Jesus left the throne to come to you. He humbled himself and became like we are. And he had a purpose in what he was doing. He had a reason in coming. Isaiah then says he had a, uh, in his hand, the angel did, a live coal which he had taken with the tongs from the altar. <coughs> so here, where the sacrifice was often made for the atonement of the people, for the sins of the people, for their trespasses and their transgressions, this sacrifice would be made so that they could be forgiven. And that's where he got this live coal. And he's going to bring that down now to Isaiah. Well, again, Philippians 2 and verse 8 says, And being found in appearance as a man... He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. 
See, the angel brought a coal from the place of sacrifice. Jesus did more than that. He became the sacrifice. He's the one that was laid bare on the altar. In his perfection and in his goodness. And Ephesians 5 and verse 2 says, And walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. You see, what Jesus was able to do was to make the sacrifice so that it's pleasing to God. How can we please God? Jesus already did. In becoming that sacrifice for mankind, becoming that sacrifice for you, and that sacrifice, what we learn from, him, from this is that sacrifice is sufficient for you because it's a sweet-smelling aroma to God. It's good. It was good for him. And so Isaiah says, the angel says to Isaiah, excuse me, behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away and your sin purged. So now he is gone, I'm sure, from very fearful about what this angel was going to come to him and do. Not only was he coming down, but he had this live coal in his hand and he touched his lips. And he says, you're forgiven. What a feeling that must have been for Isaiah. Who felt like he was out of place because of his sin. And now, he's forgiven. The sin is gone. Ephesians 1 and verse 7 says, In Him, that being Jesus, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. How did Isaiah know that he was forgiven? Because the angel told him. How can we know that we're forgiven? Because that's what Jesus says He meant to do. That we're forgiven in His blood, and that's through his, the riches of His grace. So we know that when we have the blood of Jesus, that there's no doubt and should be no doubt that we are forgiven just like Isaiah was. That when we have come into contact with the blood of Jesus, it might as well be God saying, you are forgiven because you are. And in Acts 2 and verse 38 says, Then Peter said to them, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's when our sins can be forgiven. When we are released of the guilt that we can stand before God in judgment and know that we belong there. Not because of our own righteousness, but because of the sacrifice of Jesus. And because we have the affirmation that if you repent and you're baptized, your sins are forgiven through his blood according to the riches of his grace. That's what you can know this evening. So God then says, I have something I need. And he calls out, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Now remember Isaiah at the beginning. 
Here he sees this throne. He hears the angels singing. And he determines that he himself does not belong there. I can't sing these praises. I'm a man of unclean lips. The only thing that's changed is that he was granted forgiveness. And now he says, here am I, send me. I can do that. I can go on that mission. I can sing the song of the angels. I can sing holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Wherever you send me, that's where I'll go. The only thing that changed was the forgiveness. So when we have the blood of Jesus, we can be assured that we belong. That we can go and we can do his will. Romans 6 and verse 5 says, For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, Certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. We are no longer guilty. We are no longer servants of sin. We are servants of the Lord who is sitting on his throne. Forgiven, pure, clean, and holy. We belong. One of these days, 2 Corinthians 5 verse 10 says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body <coughs> according to what he has done, whether good or bad. One of these days, you will be that person just like Isaiah. And you'll be standing before the Lord on his throne. And this time it'll be for judgment. You will answer for all the things that you've done in the body, whether good or bad. Here's the question I have for you. Are you going to stand on your own righteousness? Or are you going to be in the blood of Jesus? In his righteousness, freed from sin. Someday you'll stand at the bar on high. Someday your record you'll see. Will it be his record or yours? What will your answer be? Come forward now as we stand and sing the song. It's been selected.